today on Ag News Daily. We were concerned that the nutrient management plan that Supreme Beef had submitted would allow too much manure to be applied to the application fields and it would ultimately pollute Bloody Run Creek. Well, listeners, welcome back. It's Wednesday, January 17th, 2024. Today's episode is brought to you by Sound Agriculture. Give them a look at Sound ag.com Duaney, you're back to the frozen tundra joining me today it literally is a frozen tundra because the polar vortex that sweeps through tanner that one caught me off guard i'm not gonna lie <laughs> we uh we both got to enjoy some warmer areas and came back to areas that were colder but when i looked at the nation yesterday it was substantially below normal temperatures for almost every single state I believe it. I believe it. 100%. We still have some warnings in effect. Winter storm warnings for parts of Montana, Wyoming, northern Colorado, while extreme cold and other wind chills continue to hit the Midwest. As much as nine inches of snow could hit those states that are in that winter warning. That is in effect today until this evening. Wind chill advisories are still in effect for much of the Midwest. Nebraska has a chance to drop to dangerous levels of minus 35 degrees. Eastern Iowa could see wind chills tonight as low as 20 to 27 degrees below zero. But the positive out of all this is the actual temperatures are not as low as they have been the last couple of days. So we'll continue to keep an eye on that for all of our livestock producers that listen, but that's a little weather update today. Yeah, absolutely. I'll just add on to that there quickly about livestock. I was with a group of livestock producers over the last few days. And, you know, that's a big concern for them right now is just what this is going to do for the already low herd size that we have. And from a grower perspective, this is going to be hopefully pretty positive that we'll see some finally snowfall get into the subsoil moisture level area as it melts later on. But for winter wheat, uh, there's a big question mark about, you know, the kill on this tanner. So a lot of factors to watch as, although it's January, this is the first major snowstorm really we've seen. So a lot of things to keep in mind here as we move forward. That's absolutely right. I'm going to hit a couple of tech-related articles to kick off my news for today. CES was taking place for those uh, that don't know don't know that's the consumer electronics show in las vegas that took place last week the ag focused exhibitors continued to uh, unlock potential for their artificial intelligence and data aggregation in farm technology they included also some steps forward for vehicle automation and electrification a couple of the highlights was bobcats at450x it's an ag autonomy articulating tractor. Autonomous and electrified is at the heart of this concept. It looks like a small four-wheel drive tractor. The giant swappable rear-mounted battery pack is a key future feature that extends the life of this tractor. They took and swapped out their liquid cool engine for an iron core design that will help the life of the battery continue to propel that tractor forward. John Deere put a tech stack out for cotton growers. They will continue to focus on all areas of agriculture. 
but do have a weeds in the field LED floor for their sea and spray system that can be plug and play in an upgrade for their sprayers. Kubota also put out their AgriConcept electric utility tractor. It's a sleek factor. looks like it is mainly designed for those orchards and vineyards. They are lightning quick. It can charge from 10% up to 80% full in just six minutes, which was one of the big pushes during CES. Landon, we also saw yesterday John Deere announced their strategic partnership with SpaceX to expand the rural connectivity for farmers through satellite connections. Coming out of Moline, they announced that they entered into an agreement with SpaceX to provide cutting-edge satellite communications and services to farmers using the Starlink network. This solution will allow farmers facing rural connectivity challenges to fully leverage the precision technology in John Deere's agricultural products. Partnership in Industry First will enable John Deere customers to be more productive and profitable in their operations as they continue to work to feed and fuel the world. So a lot more that goes into that, but I wanted to make sure that headline got shared, Delaney. Yeah, I thought that was a really neat announcement. They're using Starlink. Uh, I've looked at Starlink for our house, Tanner, and you know, I think it's a lot of upfront expense, but they say in the long run, kind of pays for itself, and it's just so much better than most of the rural Wi-Fi options we have available. Yeah, it seems if you don't have fiber in your area, it could be a good option. Absolutely. Well, one option we may not see here is an extension of the government funding. Tanner, as of Friday, four federal departments will shut down if Congress fails to act on a short six-week government funding bill that is now proposed. The Senate was scheduled to take a procedural vote on Tuesday afternoon to keep the government running until March, which is a six-week extension from the stopgap funding bill now in place. But if Congress fails to act, the USDA and four other federal agencies will expire on Friday. Under the six-week extension that was unveiled over the weekend, the USDA and the four other departments would be funded through March 1st and the rest of the government as well. Now facing a February 2nd cutoff would receive funding through March 8th, but the Biden administration has urged Congress last week to provide an additional $1 billion for WIC and SNAP programs for the rest of the fiscal year. And that is one that people on both sides, they all just are not getting on board on. So I'm sure they will pass some sort of short-term extension as they usually do in the 11th hour, but Friday is the date here we're watching. Yeah, I saw that as well. Certainly something that will play into effect as uh, we take a look for our listeners. Cattlefax is introducing a new cow-calf survey. Their annual cow-calf survey will request information to provide participants and the rest of the industry some valuable data regarding benchmarks and trends. Those who participate will receive the results summary packet after the results are tabulated. You can use that information for benchmarking and allow managers and owners to evaluate your operation. Items such as cow-calf profitability, tendencies of high and low return producers, regional data, and other valuable material will be included in that summary packet. All individuals must, or all individuals' results will remain confidential and anonymous. This survey is open until March 1st, Delaney. By completing the survey and submitting a valid email address, participants will also be in the winning 
or the opportunity to win from a drawing, $700 worth of cattle facts credit. The credit can be used for any membership, registration fees for educational seminar, seminars or gatherings. The survey can be accessed through a link here at agweb.com or you can request from cattlefacts.com. So kind of an interesting tech extension there, Delaney pooling producers to grab information that might be able to provide valuable insights for their operation. Absolutely, Tanner. Switching tracks here a little bit, still some government headlines, but farmers could see a greater opportunity to write off larger equipment purchases and buildings under a new $78 billion bipartisan tax deal proposed on Tuesday. This tax deal proposed by the chairman of two major tax writing committees in Congress and the House Ways and Means Committee chairman, Jason Smith, announced on Tuesday that this new legislation would provide a mix of business tax credits along with an expansion of the child tax credit system. It's under question right now if Congress can get the votes it needs to rally around this tax package, but the bill is dubbed the Tax Relief Act for Families and Workers of 2024. The proposal faces a divided Congress, and so it might be tough to get this passed through here, Tanner. But their goal is to try and get the package passed before the filing season begins January 29th for the 2023 tax year. And they said they're going to pull out all the stops to get this tax bill done. But some specific here tax pieces that farmers might care about is farmers would get a boost from plans to allow 100% bonus depreciation for certain property, including 20-year buildings, or farmers could opt out for the slightly higher Section 179 deductions of 2024 equipment, which could serve the same purpose. We also see under the IRS code section 179, farmers and other small businesses for the 2023 tax year could deduct up to $1.16 million in equipment purchases as long as their total equipment purchases did not exceed $2.89 million. The tax bill would also increase the amount up to $1.29 million and raise the cap for qualifying property. Both amounts would increase based on inflation for taxable years after 2024 and the extension of bonus depreciation, which I know is a big one here uh, that we even, you know, have been paying mindful attention of for our taxes. But under the current tax plan, that bonus depreciation, 100%, I believe this is the last year that you'd be able to take that uh, if this new tax package gets passed, that bonus depreciation for property would extend to 2026. So that would be a big one there for farmers as well, Tanner. Yes, absolutely would. We've got a big opportunity for those in Kansas. The Kansas Agricultural Rural Leadership Program, also known as CARL, is accepting their applications that will run for the 24-26 program year. Applications there will be accepted through April 1st. It's in its 33rd year of a two-year leadership planning program. They offer state in-state seminars, national and international study tours as well. But we also have some news that there could be additional transparency in the Corporate Transparency Act that would impact farmers. The law that was passed to prevent money laundering, cor corrupt financial transactions, and other financial tourism could potentially provide farmers with more insight. 
the CTA was passed to prevent those bad acts from happening. It requires almost all LLCs, corporations, and limited partnerships to report certain information about the owners to the Federal Crimes Enforcement Network, a bureau of the U.S. Treasury. There are potential civil penalties in line for those that don't follow that. You must have a physical presence in the U.S., have at least $5 million in annual U.S. sourced gross revenue, and employ at least 20 full-time employees. So where this might affect our farmer listeners, Delaney, is when it comes to these packers that are currently under some extra scrutinization, they may have to report additional information, as well as, like we said, any company that is earning more than $5 million in gross revenue. So interesting that that passed and might have a trickle-down effect into agriculture. It absolutely could. But one thing that obviously impacts agriculture pretty heavily here is commodity prices and also farmland prices. After multiple years of record land values, Farmers National Company said they're expecting the market to stabilize in the year ahead. In their January 2024 land values report, the company shared that sharp increases in farmland values has slowed overall. And while values are holding strong, they don't expect to see the sharp increases that we've seen here over the last few years. The question, Dana, really is when will this thing start to come back down or will it? Because as we know, farmland value also follows a pretty cyclical pattern, usually seven to nine years of strong farmland values and then a couple of years of deflated prices. But we certainly have not seen that be the trend here for U.S. farmland. We also saw that Kansas's largest contiguous ranch has a new owner on the title. The P5 Ranch, located in Hamilton and Kearney counties, about 24 miles west of Garden City, Kansas, spans approximately 44,923 acres, just under 45,000 acres there. Uh, while it's primarily pasture, it also includes about 2,700 acres of cropland, 17 miles of Arkansas river frontage, and a lot of hunting and pasture ground, Tanner. But the price tag on this ranch undisclosed. So we don't know what those 45,000 acres went for there, but they said the ranch can support about 6,500 to 8,000 head of cattle, a lot of uh, hunting as mentioned there, some cropland. So certainly interesting to see this large amount of land purchased and who possibly could have afforded a price tag that large. Yeah, that is very interesting. I'm sure there'll be more that will come about. Last I've got here is just updates from the Gaza region. Qatar has broke, brokered a deal between Israel and the Hamas that will see medicines being delivered to Israeli hostages in Gaza in exchange for the delivery of aid to Palestinian civilians. At least 10,600 children, unfortunately, have been killed in Israeli attacks in Gaza since October 7th. The Hamas-run health ministry stated that the UN... Emergency Relief Chief stated that the UN Relief Chief has also warned that this war is bringing famine to the region, which could result in more deaths. The U.S. is expected to redesignate their Houthis group as a global terrorist entity, which could escalate their abilities to retaliate. The Yemen group claimed responsibility for the attack on the Greek-owned vessels hours after the U.S. military launched new strike against those targets. So it looks like we'll continue to keep an eye on the attacks in this region. And tomorrow I'll see about getting some updates for Russia and Ukraine. That sounds great, Tanner. I'm also working on lining up a 
logistics shipping expert to talk about, you know, we've talked increased cost of freight, increased cost of insurance. So hopefully going to line up an interesting interview here over the next week or so to discuss and dive into those logistics a little bit more and how that impacts bag. Yeah, that should be a good conversation. Where do markets open up at this morning? Yes. Well, as we head into the opening session here, we're just a few minutes off of the open and in the overnights here, Corn and soybeans were trading lower. March corn will open two and a half cents lower at 441. March soybeans will open this morning at 1215, down 12 and a quarter cent in the overnight. March Chicago wheat down a penny at 581. Mar- March hard red winter wheat down two and three quarters cents to open this morning at 598 and three quarters. And spring wheat, March spring wheat down two pennies in the overnight will open this morning at 688 and three quarters. Livestock this morning will open up at a buck 73, 12 and a half in the February live cattle contract. In March, feeder cattle will open this morning at 228.82 and a half. And February lean hogs will open on the board at 70.77. Tanner, let's turn over to today's interview conversation. Do you want to optimize the amount of plant nutrition provided by the microbes in your soil? Source it. Want to replace 25 pounds of nitrogen and phosphorus per acre? Source it. Looking for a more cost-effective way to unlock your crop's potential and increase ROI? Source it. Easy to handle, apply, and store. To make your fertilizer plan more efficient, source it. Learn more at sound.ag. Well, folks, as we dig into today's interview conversation, wanted to give a little bit of a framework here. So we're chatting today with Wally Taylor, an attorney for the Sierra Club of Iowa, about a Clayton County livestock facility that is seeking approval from state regulators on how to dispose of their manure proceed of the manure that they produce. It's been an ongoing process here, and we're going to chat with Wally today to talk about the Sierra Club's position and concern over some of the manure procedures that the Clayton County Livestock Facility has tried to seek approval on. Wally, thanks for joining us today. Appreciate your time. Well, thank you for inviting me. Wally, before we get into the discussion about the Clayton County Livestock Facility, let's talk a little bit more about what the Sierra Club of Iowa is. Well, we're a grassroots environmental organization. Uh, We're affiliated with the National Sierra Club, uh, the Iowa chapter, uh, obviously, is is uh, in Iowa, and um, we uh, advocate for policies and uh, actions by um, the government agencies that protect the environment. Well, good. That's, I think a lot of our listeners would be familiar with that, but I'm glad that you shared the basis to it. As we look at this conversation today, you provided a little background pre-recording. Could you do a high-level overview as to how this process started with this livestock facility and where we're at for them? Sure. Um, This started back in 2017. Um, The Waltz family, which owns Supreme Beef, had the initial idea of... um, having a large cattle operation and using the manure um, and putting in a manure digester to uh, create um, uh, energy uh, that they would sell um, uh, uh, for energy uh, use by others. Uh, That project fell through 
And so Supreme Beef then just decided to be um, a, a regular cattle operation. And so as Supreme Beef was working through the procedure process to get their manure plan approved by the state and the DNR agency, the Sierra Club flagged it for a specific reason. Will you walk us through why the Sierra Club flagged this manure plan? Sure. Uh, let me start by saying that um, our biggest concern was that the, uh, the Supreme Beef operation and the manure application fields are in the watershed of a stream called Bloody Run Creek, which is a very prized trout stream uh, uh, in Northeast Iowa. Um, uh, for those not familiar with Iowa, Northeast Iowa is a um, unique area of the state because it's um, high limestone bluffs, um, a cold water streams, uh, not like the rest of Iowa. And um, so we do have some um, a, a trout streams up there that have been designated actually as outstanding Iowa waters. And because of the, the, the topography up there, it's called karst terrain, K-A-R-S-T, which means that it's a fractured uh, limestone and dolomite, dolomite bedrock, uh, which allows um, surface water to go into the groundwater into these uh, fissures in the uh, the geology, which um, you know, carries that uh, groundwater to um, the streams like Bloody Run Creek. And so we were concerned that the nutrient management plan that Supreme Beef had submitted would allow too much um, the manure to be applied to the application fields and it would either run off from the surface or down through this fractured bedrock into the groundwater but ultimately pollute uh, Bloody Run Creek. Yeah so it sounds like through this process there's been uh, a couple of uh, ongoing manure management plans submitted trying to mold its facility from that initial approval of industrial type processes into an agriculture facility. How's that process been going for that feedlot? Well, um, the problem is that because of the way it was initially um, permitted, um, it doesn't have the usual manure handling and um, disposal uh, a process that an open feedlot would have. It's more like a confinement facility uh, like you have for hogs, for example, um, without the uh, regulation for confinements. It's being regulated as an, a, 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 that's an open feedlot, but it's actually more like the confinement. And the DNR admitted that. So uh, how we look at it is that the DNR, instead of making Supreme beef fit the regulations, they tried to make the regulations fit Supreme beef. And uh, that's why the nutrient management plan was flawed. Um, they used um, incorrect uh, values for determining the amount of nutrients that would be um, produced by the facility. They used improper calculations and, and procedures to determine how much manure could be 
uh, safely applied to the application fields. And that's why we eventually sued the DNR for approving that uh, initial nutrient management plan. And a, a district court judge in Iowa um, ultimately agreed with us and um, ruled that the nutrient management plan uh, was invalid. Yes. So as you mentioned there, you sued the DNR. They came to the same conclusion that the Sierra Club had already speculated that it the, the calculations weren't accurate. So then the Supreme Beef Company went back and filed, is it additional multiple plans since then that have not been approved? Well, they filed a plan in September of last year uh, that was put out for public comment and we objected to it and uh, explained why we felt that it was still uh, invalid. So Supreme Beef withdrew that plan before the DNR made any decision on it. Um, so we couldn't sue them. <laughs> um, but they, then they went back and ultimately in December of last year, um, they submitted a nutrient management plan that the DNR approved, which we think is still um, flawed. Um, and, and, and we're reviewing that to see if we think that um, some legal action should be taken there. But what concerned us about this most recent plan is that between that September, the plan that was withdrawn and the December plan that was approved, um, Supreme Beef, we find from open records request, submitted several uh, iterations of plans that the DNR rejected internally and sent it back to Supreme Beef uh, with uh, uh, instructions or suggestions as to how to change it and without any public input. Um, so we think that may have been um, a violation of uh, administrative procedures. Um, and so, uh, yes, there were um, some uh, plans that were not put out for public um, review or comment. And uh, right after the, the DNR approved that, a plan in December, Supreme Beef um, immediately started uh, emptying out the um, manure basin and applying manure to the fields based on this um, December nutrient management plan that we think is flawed. So as we look at the, the uh, need to happen obligations of livestock facilities, we know that as long as animals are on site, they will produce a waste, manure in this case, and there's only a finite space for that storage to happen. Do you see an outcome where this facility could go and operate as, uh, as it is designed to operate in which your parties would be acceptable of? Well, one thing they could do, and, and certainly something we've said from the very beginning is they should be subject to the confined uh, animal feeding operation regulations, uh, going through what we call the master matrix, going through county supervisor's approval, because really it is a confinement. The, the manure is collected in a, um, a, a concrete basin under the building, and then it's, it's 
removed and applied to the uh, the application fields just like a confinement. The, the only reason that it's um, treated as an open feedlot is because the DNR has regulations that say that even though the cattle and, and all open feedlots are cattle operations, the only reason that it's an open feedlot is because although the cattle are in the buildings, never get out, they're confined just like a confinement, the, the DNR regulation says that if at least 10% of the building is uncovered, it's an open feedlot. So what they've done is they've put the feed bunks outside the building so it's uncovered, so that they say that, that those feed bunks are the 10% that's uncovered, and that uh, uh, makes them an open feedlot. Um, but really, an open feedlot is supposed to be where the cattle are out in an open lot, and the only building is a shelter that the cattle can go in in, in inclement weather. Um, so that the the regulations really um, are improper, we think, but, but those are the regulations. But because of the way the Supreme Beef is set up, it should be treated as a confinement. Well, well, that's unfortunately all the time we have for today, but we appreciate your insight into this story and the Sierra Club's perspective. Thank you. Well, there you go, Delaney. Welcome back. I'm sure our listeners missed you as much as I did, but we'll be back again tomorrow. So for today, what do you say? Should we let the listeners go? Let's let them go.